Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's podcast. I am really excited with this week's guest, who you'll hear from in a moment. I was at a, a reunion, a Royal Military Academy Sandhurst reunion of our platoon and the cadets that we're trained, and it could have been a dire evening, but for me meeting this guest, who you'll hear from in a minute. What an interesting man he is. He began his life as a Queen's Dragoon Guard officer in the British Army, uh, then tragically had a, a major accident, which you'll hear about later, which caused him to have to change career. Um, he's since then done some fascinating work, rubbing shoulders with some of the world's wealthiest and most interesting people and learning from them. Uh, and he's also an explorer in his spare time. Without further ado, I'll let him introduce himself. Thanks, Jonathan. Good morning. Yes, I'm Chris. That's all right. I'm a yacht broker. I'll explain more about that in in a minute but yes I sell very large yachts to interesting people around the planet uh, and there are some stories I can tell you and some stories I can't tell you but I look forward to our chat uh, on this the the um, inspiring leadership podcast which I've enjoyed watching many episodes of so uh, without further ado the inspiring leadership podcast hosted by Jonathan Bowman Parks over to you thank you Chris and, and Chris you've done so many things and you've traveled to so many places we were just chatting here you went to monaco for the grand prix um but also you know you're meeting so many interesting people and we have the nice connection with uh chris moon manly hopkinson and you have this habit of doing crazy things <laughs> but but um having uh, had such a major accident as you did which i'd like you to talk about as you talk about some of your life you really have to look after yourself better than you are doing. And I think in one of your recent things, you overtrained and then had to be bedridden for seven days to recover. Yes. Um, so, so take it easy. But Chris, tell us about currently yacht broking. You know, for those of us who don't know anything about yacht broking, what does it involve? And, um, you know, uh, what are the interesting sizes of boats and people that you meet? Wait. Interestingly, uh, a lot of people ask me, what, you know, what is it about yacht broking? I mean, yacht broking is, the, I mean, the word yacht and the word broking should be disconnected from each other because, in fact, yachting is our product. The yacht, you know, whether it be a holiday, whether it be buying, whether it be building, whether it be being involved in some way in yachting. And then there's brokerage, which is building relationships and offering information and offering detail to clients that otherwise don't have the time to build those relationships themselves. So that's what, that's what I do, is I spend all my time building relationships and, uh, and offering yachts as my product. That's, that's kind of, that's, yeah. that's the way I look at it. And, and I think that was the thing that struck me. Uh, you, you and I were laughing with each other as we came to the bar after the dinner that we'd, we'd met some interesting people from, you know, I don't know, 35 years before, but they were all talking about themselves at great length and never interested in asking you or I about ourselves. Mm -hmm. But it's a skill that you clearly have and you're very comfortable about that, really to hear people's stories. And, uh, 
you must have met some fascinating people. Is there anything you can tell us about some of the people? I, have, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Jonathan. My, my wife and I often, you know, after a night out or whether it's been for dinner or wherever we might have been, we often say, well, I met this, this person. It's fascinating. You know, he asked me a lot about myself. Or, you know, so, so I'm very, very aware that, you know, if you do all the talking, you never do any listening. So <laughs> I spend all my time doing the listening, you know, and, and uh, you know, one of the nice things about our business is we don't have a huge volume of clients. We have a very tight, group, uh, small group of clients, which means we get to know them extremely well, which means get the opportunity to regularly listen. And the more you listen, the more you learn. And uh, it's quite interesting how relationships develop much more with much more strength, the more you learn about them rather than them learning about you. I, I can't really explain it. I've always been a listener rather than mm. a talker. And, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm with, a, with a client of mine who's a fascinating guy, you know, and I can't tell you much more about him other than the fact that, you know, he made his first fortune when he was 16. Uh, you know, and, and literally his schoolmaster said, you must go. You, you, you can't stay at school. You haven't been at school for the last two years anyway, in your mind. You must go and follow your dream. And he, wow. and he followed his dream, you know, and he had. Anyway, there's, there's a, it's a fascinating story. But yes, listening to him is uh, the more I listen, the more I learn. Yeah, well, we'll stay with this one because um, obviously protecting, and it is very, you know, you're in a similar profession to me, confidentiality is a key yeah. thing. Yeah. If people feel you're loose-lipped and you're going to gossip about them, your career's over, really. Trust is a, a key part of it. But there must be some themes in the, in the most successful people that you've met. And, of course, what is success? Is it, is it just lots of money? Or is it that balance between wanting what you already have rather than, you know, happiness certainly is a key element of it, wanting what you already have rather than success, getting what you want. But, but if you were to look and you've listened and you've learned from a whole variety of people, again, in a small niche, what stands out for you as the kind of qualities of these inspiring leaders for the ones that are? Clearly, you've met one or two who are toxic, but I, knowing you, Chris, I don't think you'd tend to do business with those kind of people. You'd walk well, you away know, from John, them. I mean, you know, we, I, I've spent my life, well, my more recent life, the last 30 years, doing business with people who want to do business with me. Uh, and in the early days, I, I, did, I, was, I didn't choose. You know, if somebody wanted to do business with me, I, I would tend to do business with them. These days, uh, as time's moved on, I, I obviously don't have as much time to deal with as many people as I might like to deal with, so I, I'm able to be a bit more choosy. And I tend to choose uh, who to spend my time with, not based on how much money they're going to spend with me, but with, the, you know, how I feel the chemistry of that relationship developing. So if it's developing well, I know that in the end, something will come my way and I will have done something that I've enjoyed doing. I, I absolutely never calculate the sum of what the relationship might give in the early days because, you know, you might meet the richest man in the world who wants, he thinks he wants to do business with you. And after six months of trying, you realize you don't have chemistry. You've given him your entire heart and, uh, and all the information that you've acquired over all those years. And he says, thanks very much. Goodbye. Well, that's a utter waste of six months of both his time and my time whereas equally you know meet somebody quite quickly and and build chemistry and before you know it you you know onto projects yachting so i i, I do think it's uh, you know the, the way that the life has changed for me is is the need to do business has been replaced by 
the want to do business. And then you talked about what is success. Well, interestingly, when I first started in the business, all of my clients were sort of 60 plus. <coughs> in those days, if you remember, we were using telex and then fax. And then, you know, shortly after that, the, the email started coming in. And, and with email and with this quick communication, so people were able to make their fortunes earlier and earlier and earlier. So historically, I think what success meant was amassing a pile of wealth uh, in order that when you hit your retirement, maybe 60, 70 or 80, you're able to enjoy this vast wealth. That was kind of the way that wealth was considered. Doesn't matter whether you were trading in the Caribbean in you know, sugarcane or whether you were, or, or these days, whether you're trading in oil or whatever you might've been doing, it took a long time to make your fortune. Now, I have clients less than 30 who have made billions and billions of dollars. And absolutely, their route to happiness is not more billions of dollars. And their route to, and what they consider to be successful is not more billions of dollars. Again, the client I'm with today, we had dinner last night and he said, well, I'm 44. I really need to get my foot down if I'm going to be successful. <laughs> yeah. And I can't tell you much, much about what we're doing, but uh, we're doing a very, very significant group of boats uh, together. So it's, you know, people, people rate their, their success. You know, where a butcher in our local village would consider himself to be successful. He's been there 30 years and he is the only butcher in the village. So yeah, that has yeah. a level of success too. But so it's not just about money. No, hundred percent. It's not just about money. Uh, and again, you know, I've, uh, I remember particularly a client of mine who's a very good friend of mine. Uh, he'd made a few billion pounds, and he, we were sitting somewhere, uh, and he said, "Well, if you know, once I'm able to do that, and and this piece of the jigsaw comes together, and then we're able to do this, that, and the other, and, and once we get there, I, I, I think I should probably be okay." Yeah. And, you know, this is already when he's absolutely top of the pile in anybody yeah. else's. So I think we're all driven by different things, but just simple money, that's not yeah. it. No, it, it, it is so very interesting that the, often there's when I, when I get here, then I'll be happy. When I do this, then I'll be happy. And um, you and I were talking before we, we started this recording about my trip to uh, Peru and uh doing various plant-based medicine ceremonies to think about my life and my purpose and, and that kind of stuff. And, and it did give me lots of time, the, the 10, 11 days in Peru, about what really, really matters. And, and for me, it is my wife, Lee, my four children, two of my own, two of my, my stepchildren, my brother who's alive um, and uh, survived a, a dreadful attack, a knife attack on him and mm -hmm. his yeah. family, um, and, and good friends. And, and clients I choose to work with. And, and I'm lucky like you. I think in my early days, yes, I was scrabbling around. I, I hate to even use the word, but probably prostituting myself somewhat. Going, yes, yes, I'll do that. I can do anything, whatever you want. And now I, I sort of know when I'm not the right person for someone. I go, this is not for me. Let me find someone who is, because this is not the kind of thing I do. Exactly. So I think, I think as we get older, we start to realize what we do like and can do and are good at and what we're not good at and and someone said to me you should have a stop doing list to stop doing list and a get to do list because you were talking about need to want to but also get to you know you get to meet some fascinating people 
develop relationships with them over a long period of time where you are, and this is, this is the link actually between what you do and what I do. We are both trusted advisors to senior leaders. In my case, CEOs about leadership. In your case, it's um, very successful, wealthy individuals about the kind of yachts that they want and the kind of life experience they want to have. But I found in our conversation with you, which is why I wanted you on the podcast, I so enjoyed our conversation and it could range over a wide mm. uh, a swath of topics. And you had a view, you had some experience. I mean, let's just take you even back to understand how have you accumulated all this experience that allows you to make a connection with people who just haven't got the time to talk to many people because they just find that, that don't bother me, you know, don't suck up to me just because mm. I'm wealthy. I want a real genuine trusted relationship with you so that when I'm ready, if you're the right person, you've got the right product, I will buy from you because I trust you. Yeah. So, so take me right back to early childhood upbringing. What shaped you, Chris? You know, just, just help us a bit with a bit of a story. Goodness me. Goodness me. That's, I mean, I'll, I'll answer the question. I'll take you back to the childhood. But I, the, 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 the thing that I, I know for sure, that, and I don't know a lot of things for sure, but the thing that I do know for sure is that the people that I deal yachts for have got all sorts of advisors around the planet that help them with all sorts of things. It doesn't matter whether it's a chef or whether it's a stockbroker or whether it's a banker or a lawyer. They've got lots of people that help them with their decisions that they make. But I do know that the successful people I deal with are good at making decisions. And if they have the right information, almost always they make the right decision. I mean, you know, our, our path has always got a left or a right wherever you go. And they regularly make the right decision, but you can't make the right decision without good information. So I've spent my, my business life making sure I have the right and relevant information for this very small niche of piece of business that I know everything about. So if you had your head down uh, making widgets for 30 years and you, you decided that the thing to do is to spend five or six years uh, enjoying the sea and the privacy with you your family and your growing family or your friends, whoever it may be. In order to make a decision about what you need, when, when you need it, how much you should be paying for it, how much it's going to cost you to run, you need to have somebody advise you. And, you know, because you can't possibly have all the information that I've acquired over 30 years. So what I try and do is package the information quickly and efficiently uh, in a trustworthy way and deliver it to you, the guy that needs it. That's, that's, that's a, there's no, no magic to that. That's just hard work knowing the market and being reliable. And that's, that, that, that's what that is. Yeah, and just, just stay with that for a minute, Chris, because mm. you say there's no magic to that. I don't quite fully buy that. What it is, is that's almost a bit of the, the, the science of, of the requirement of your profession. But mm. then comes the art, which is the emotional and social intelligence, um, the curiosity, the authenticity, the the the, mm. the vulnerability, because only the strong can be vulnerable, to open up and build a relationship where they really connect with you and they trust you. Because yes, you have the information, but also they enjoy your company because they're mm. going to spend a lot of time with you, aren't they? You know, they're uh, going to, to boats. They're going to spend is, a lot of time with you. This is the chemistry thing that talk about. I mean, there's no point in trying to force chemistry. 
Uh, and that's why in my very little business, I try and be sure that whenever we take on anybody new, they're not just a clone of, of me or, or somebody else in the business. Because, you know, I can deal with the people I have chemistry with. I need somebody that's going to have chemistry with a different group of people. And, and, and we know that that works. And if you don't have chemistry with me and you would like to deal with my business, maybe you'd like to talk to Henry or Matt or Ross or Lucinda or whoever it might be, you know, we, we, so um, I think it's a very, it's a very relevant point. It can't be all things to all people. Uh, but we build, we build that, that, that it's all about that, um, the, the chemistry to, to, to start with. And once you have that chemistry, of course, then you need to back it up with the detailed knowledge, that information that helps these people, man or woman, to make a decision. You know, yeah. there's a very, very uh, big increase in the number of ladies that are uh, buying and building big yachts these days, independent women that, that have been astonishingly successful and are wonderfully insightful and, and building big yachts, which is exciting. Yeah. So, so take us now back to childhood. <laughs> Who was it? What events, uh, a few, if the five events, five people maybe, that have shaped the skill you have to connect authentically with people, to be genuinely interested in the other, not just about you and me, 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 because that's not what I connected with you I just connected with you because you are very worldly you're an old soul in a young body you've done a lot already so what was it you've done that shaped you you know Jonathan I could get I mean I don't you know I know that you have a very wide readership or listenership however you do with podcast viewers um you know I had I had a I had a privileged background but I think probably quite a tough upbringing uh, failed marriage, my parents, uh, the death of my older brother in a car crash, uh, death of various brothers through cancer and that sort of thing. I've had all sorts of things have happened uh, over, my, over my younger life. And I, I have learned that, uh, I mean, technically I've learned and understood through various um, courses I've been on that actually successful people, not that I had put myself in the category, but the people that I deal with who are ultimately very successful, um, often have trauma in their in their history, and um, and the trauma has led me to uh, always be looking for a father figure. Interestingly, so I'm very good at selling to slightly older men than me, uh, and that's because I strive for that relationship, and uh, and I really enjoy being uh, listened to by my superiors. I really enjoy delivering them something that they need. And wow. I enjoy being needed by them. And, and that's, that's something, you know, it's not about the deal. It's not about the money. It's about that relationship. And I deliver stuff that they want and they thank me for it. And that is that's the bottom line. Wow. Now, we, we found many connections. Um, that's really eerie. I mean, not only, I'm really sorry about, uh, you know, the death of your brother through, through the car crash and cancer and the, the, the failed marriage. Um, but you know in your case looking for the father figure that's exactly the therapist would say with me you know my father was killed when i was two and a half fast jet pilot um saving the life of other people but i i will look will, i was looking for these kind of characters so with people like richard dan at general lord dan i found a father figure that i admired with um certain other uh generals who will remain nameless because it'd be unfair to name them uh, i i found 
pretty toxic characters. And I went, whoa, what? I thought you were going to be something special and you're not. Um, so, so it is interesting that that wish for both of us to make connections with people, is it partly looking for a, a, a connection that we missed when we were younger? And, and I found this with, and I don't know whether it's, you've seen this with your uh, very wealthy, successful clients, but with, with my successful clients, a number of them lost a parent figure or that the marriage broke up so that wasn't what wasn't around and it drives them. You know, often in some ways, the happiest people don't actually achieve awful, uh, amazing things because they're happy and they're contented and they'll just muddle along and this is just fine, you know, looking after the butcher well, shop. It goes, the does, it goes back to being, you know, what is success? Mm. You know, and if success is the accumulation of vast wealth, then, you know, that is one measure of success. But I think we all know that there are a good handful of people that have this uh, incredible financial success that you wouldn't necessarily consider to be happy in the words, you know, whereas, uh, as I say, if we go back to the butcher in Milford, you know, he's a happy man uh, and he's fulfilling his dream and he's having, he's having a good time. So success is, success is um, you know, different for everybody. The people who I know that have made lots and lots of money uh, measured their success against lots of different bars than I think we would yeah. find, uh, we, we would necessarily think. So for example, time spent with family, we all, we all think that's very important, but a lot of my friends who've got lots of money, they, they, their families are so tight they're much tighter than certainly my family's. You know, yeah. I, I love that. I love being involved in those circumstances where they've got all their grown-up children around them, all their grandchildren around them, uh, and all their, you know, they keep everybody really tight and, and they're unbreakable. It's, yeah, it, because it, when, when you go home, you're going to go and make up to your wife that you're, it's now your 19th wedding anniversary today. It is today, And yes. you're away from home and you're going to have to get mm -hmm. back and, and celebrate. Um, yeah. With the different life experiences you've had what got you to go and become a cavalry officer in the mm. british army because um, um, you know, the cavalry and guards you know have a, a reputation a stereotype of you know wealth opulence and a little bit of arrogance um mm. now you don't have that arrogance which is so nice but i i know one or two who who look down on other people mm. but you, you're you're the kind of person that can talk with kings and walk with a common man how did you learn that who taught you that goodness me you're very flattering jonathan i, I very very quickly it's not, I, you know here i am on a podcast talking about myself it's not that comfortable for me but historically you know i was brought up in birmingham my parents were barristers they were on the birmingham circuit uh my stepfather came along when i was seven uh, very interesting man. Been been up the beach to Normandy in his tank. Uh, never really talked about it. He'd worked for he'd worked um, uh, uh, um, in Africa. He'd done all sorts of interesting jobs in the army. And then he came out and went to Cambridge and became a barrister. And you know he was he came into my life when he was around sixty. Uh, and I think it was literally just his stories that that encouraged me to join the army. He sent me to rugby uh, and. Um, and paid for me to be there, I think, and then uh, organized, um, you know, a little bit of an introduction to the army, but nothing, nothing strong. Uh, and it was just his inspiration that, that, that led me to, to pursue the army. When I got to Sandhurst, I literally had no idea 
the difference between a sergeant and a colour sergeant or I hardly had knew anything about the army really. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, I met my next door neighbour, Charlie Craven, who's still one of my greatest friends. Uh, and he said, well, what on earth are you doing joining a, you know, joining a, uh, an infantry regiment when you're plainly a cavalry soldier? So, <laughs> well, uh, OK, so, so, so the two of us went off and, uh, and I did a, 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 a um, course, like, course, what was it? You, you went off as a junior officer to go and visit their regiment. And, you know, and, uh, and I, I had such a lovely time at QDG, I thought, well, that's it. And uh, they accepted me and the, the rest is history. And I had a lovely time and it was a great fit. And I did my three years and I would have stayed longer. In fact, I was re-rolling to the Army Air Corps because I quite fancied being an Apache pilot. Uh, but that's when I broke my back and had to leave. And, uh, uh, what did you, what did you, uh, I mean, I'll be interested to hear how Charlie's doing these days, because I do remember Charlie Craven. He was was really quite a character. He's, out, a, he's uh, a lovely man, yeah. Among, among the group and, and love to catch up with him. Not that I knew him well, but just I, I liked him. Um, he's actually, interestingly about Charlie, he's, he's been running all sorts, of, uh, since he left the army, I think he did 30 years, and then he came out. And now he's been running Prince Charles' estate in Gloucestershire, which has been great. I think he's just retiring from that because his wife is a very successful barrister. So he's another guy, he's a round peg, round hole, very happy, yeah. uh, but doesn't have a huge amount of money. And he's, yeah. he's, very, he's very, very happy. Yeah, that's, that's the, for me, that's, that's success. Um, mm. Happiness is success, you know, wanting what you already have. Mm. And um, we both come across people who have, oodles of wealth but they're not necessarily happy some who do have a lot of wealth and are happy they absolutely um, are it, it, yes. it, it doesn't it isn't it isn't binary it, it's a very complicated equation and it's often attitude defines your altitude but um what was it that happened that caused you to break your back can you just take us briefly through the story because it, it was oh, probably I just, I, you know, lack of any uh lack of any sense you know as a 20 year old officer in the army no clue really and I was uh in fact I think I was I was going off to be in the, in the regimental ski team I'd done it for a couple of seasons by then and I was already quite keen on doing other things as well as skiing when I was in the mountains so I learned how to paraglide uh, and on this particular day uh we were in Germany very very flat uh but, but it was a bit windy and I went and tied myself behind a car and took off and landed in a heap and and uh, burst for vertebra uh and uh <laughs> lucky to live and then even luckier to be able to walk so uh yeah. and that was the germans down at the Werner vicar clinic that put it all together and stapled all my back together and sent me home but that was that was you know the moment that i left that left the officer's mess to go paragliding and i never never rejoined the army wow wow yeah. i mean that that is a monumental event in your life i would often ask people about their proudest and darkest moments i imagine associated with that Chris there's some pretty dark moments when you thought yeah. what the hell's happened to my life where am I going to go what am I going to do would you perhaps share a bit of those dark I moments? would say that that was you know I did I did read the kind of, that, that was a pretty dark moment in my life I mean I you know I, as I say I was lucky to survive and even luckier to walk so there was a there was a big silver lining there really uh, but I had been you know young fit cavalry officer I had Got my joining instructions for my Apache course at uh, Middle Wallop. Uh, and uh, there was a six month gap between when I could leave my regiment when I started at uh, Middle Wallop. So I, during that time, I was meant to do the Army ski team. And then I was going to uh, Croatia to go and captain one of the NIC 55s and take boys from 
uh, on R and R. So I had a lovely summer, winter and summer planned ahead, and then off to be a, a helicopter pilot. And in a blink of an eye, it was over. Uh, and I was in a hospital bed in Germany, and then flown back to England, and you know, recuperating for years, and finding myself in a suit every day rather than my combats, which was pretty disappointing. But anyway, you know, it, you know, it was a it was a turning point in life. But yeah, that was a pretty dark a dark few days, a few weeks, I would say, probably. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. And I just can't imagine uh, mm. what it's like and what you've been through. Uh, I myself, uh, last year, was uh, ended up in A&E and in hospital for a period of time, in intense, agonising pain um, because of some operation that had gone wrong. And, mm. uh, and, and I just thought, you know, people like yourself or Chris Moon, who, who's had some yeah, terrible events, I mean, you know, you, you worry about, uh, you know, breaking your back and, and five of the vertebrae staple together. But Chris, who's been on this podcast, you know, got blown up, lost a leg and an arm uh, mm. and still does sort of marathon de sable and does. We ran in the London Marathon together last year. In fact. I really? think it did. Yeah. How did you get on? Yeah. Well, he did brilliantly. He did brilliantly. I, I didn't see a lot of him on the, you know, he's say himself. He's not the fastest these days. But the fact that he can even contemplate it, let alone complete it, is, is astonishing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he is an inspiration. And also you've got another mutual friend, Manly Hopkinson, ex-naval officer. And, and was it with Manly and Chris that you did your exploring or was it with other people? No, it wasn't actually. It was, a, was a, with a client that became a friend who's now become a very good friend uh, and somebody with whom share a lot of chemistry and he... he uh, likes and respects my knowledge. I give him the information he needs. He makes his decisions, and we do lots of yachting business together. So it's a mutually, you know, agreeable uh, arrangement I mean, in every respect. And I've uh, and a very warm man, somebody who is extremely happy with his wealth, somebody who does keep his family close to him, somebody who is an incredible leader. If he'd been in the army, you know, he would definitely have been a chief. If he'd been in the politician you've definitely been prime minister you know he's one of those characters and you know here i am it'll meet in his life and it's it's wonderful so i've, I've done those things with him you know we've what, what did you do what did you do tell us where, where you oh, went well we've you know, we've done many things we've we've ridden around africa on motorbikes uh top to bottom south america on motorbikes um we've we've done lots of heli skiing together we've done uh marathons across uh namibia so seven marathons in seven days we've done mountain bike trips all over the planet we've walked to both the north and the south pole together we've done i mean we just you know we've just just had a wonderful time it's, a, it's been one of those i mean obviously probably my most meaningful client friend relationship in my career yeah and and I, I love the fact that you were saying I'm not sure I should be on this podcast <laughs> and you just reeled off some amazing things that you've done which I can only but dream of uh, and you've you've done them and you keep doing them even though at times uh, you end up overdoing it it's an opportunity gentlemen. that's all it is it's not through it's not through uh, any great desire it's just opportunity when your friend says to you hey come on Chris let's walk to the North Pole how could you possibly say ah, nah not for me i'm busy <laughs> i mean that's the sort of opportunity you you just have to take and uh the only difficulty is my 10 year old son is making hints that he might like one day to walk to the south pole so yeah yeah or I, I swore i'd never go and do a cold expedition again only right. only hot ones 
Okay. If he wants to do it, I might actually have to go and do it. Again. I, I, th I think you will. With with a, your stepfather who um, inspired you for his stories of yeah. D-Day and the beaches of Normandy. Um, I remember <laughs> thinking about D-Day um, when I was uh, ADC to Field Marshal the, the Lord Inge. Um, we went to D-Day for the reunion of the Green Hards and we had Sergeant Major Stanley Hollis, VC, who was oh, the yeah. only person to get a VC on D-Day. And... Uh, he reminds me of you in that he was wonderfully modest. And, and so I said to him, I said, I said, I said what, what happened? I said, you know, the, the story says you stormed this machine gun nest with a Spandau in, having seen your company commander be killed and you were the company sergeant major at the time. You know, what, what happened? He said, yeah. He said, well, he said, we were being pinned down as we were coming up this hill that the, in the greenhouse, now the Yorkshire Regiment. And he said, and I remember telling my soldiers that they must make sure as we left uh, Portsmouth that the left pouch was for the Bren gun uh, magazines and the right pouch was for grenades and get those bloody socks out of there, spare socks, get them out of there. They're for these things, he said. And there I was crawling up towards this uh, position. I had my Bren gun, which sadly had belonged to the company commander, but he was dead. And, and he said, so I reached in for my grenades and I pulled out a spare pair of socks I said, you bloody hypocrite, Sergeant Major. You know, here you are telling the boys, and you've got spare socks in your, where you should have a grenade. Which would you do with it now? So he said, so I shoved a rock in it. And I, I said, grenade! And I threw my socks at the Germans. And they ducked in the bunker, and I ran in, and I shot them all. And I mean, just, just, and he got a victorious That's great. But, yeah, but I'm sure, I don't know whether he made the story. I don't think he did. But some of these moments, uh, like uh, talking to uh, General John Kisley and Garsman Galloway, who I did the Cypress Double Mountain Marathon with, and, and Galloway and he had run out of bullets. And, uh, you know, they, they said, are you with me, the company? And he was calling the company's name and, and the voice came, I am with you, sir. And it was Galloway. And he said, are you with me? Left flank. I'm with you, sir. Let's just go. And the two of them went over the top just on their own. And it just moments oh, of, yeah, of bravery. Yeah. Um, going back to your childhood, 16. Chris Cecil Wright, age 16. Now you've got a son who's 10. Uh, when he's 16, what bit of advice would you give him, which you would have given yourself about, don't worry about this, but this does matter. What, what bit of advice? You know, I think that's... What would I, I mean, I do, I do every day try and offer him advice. I think the difficulty is at 16, whether you listen to the advice or not is the, is, is the thing. We all get lots and lots of advice. You asked me what advice I would give. Uh, I would say, you know, listen to the advice that you're given, you know, because I'm, I'm sure I was told as a child, you know, don't, don't, don't be worried about failure. But I didn't learn that until I was in my mid-30s. When in fact, you know, you, you have to fail to succeed. You can't possibly understand or, or believe that you're, that you're actually succeeding until you know what failure looks like. You, it's, it's impossible. It doesn't make any sense. So I would say to, I would say to Sam, you know, listen to the advice that you're given by people you respect. Don't, you know, don't always think you're right, which is what 16-year-old boys tend to think. I, I know I certainly did. Yeah, no, it, it's, a, it's a really good one. And, and we'll just go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass. I mean, compasses and maps have been a key part of your exploring um, mm -hmm. and your day as a, as a young officer in the QDG, uh, leave, leading the tanks in the right direction rather than, as I did, leading them into a, 
uh, a farm barnyard where we had to reverse. Uh, I got lost as well. Lost <laughs> uh, nothing more dangerous uh, to NATO than an, a British army officer with a map, I think my sergeant used to say. Um, so the, the first one is true north, your, your moral integrity, your values, your beliefs. Uh, what would be a couple of your top values that you've lived your life by? And what have you done when you let them slip? And how did you get mm. get it back and and regain your composure? You know, there's you know, there's loads of loads of different words to describe who we all like to think we are. I like to think I have very strict integrity. I like to think I'm entirely honourable. I like to think all of those good words about myself. But I happen to know, you know, when I'm staring the enemy in the eye and I'm talking about my, my, um, my counterparts in the yachting world, on occasion I have let that slip, which I'm humiliated to admit, but I've admitted to myself and, uh, and I've put right in subsequent years. So I think, you know, the... It, with the intention to live with with utter decency, it's most demoralizing when you feel there was a way that you could have handled something differently. And I, you know, that's, I'm trying not to be too deep about it, but I mean, the fact is, you know, I like to think that I'm the most straightforward and honest person there is, but I, I, I tend to try and do anything to make a deal. Mm. I, I sort of almost can't help myself. These days I help myself a lot better by standing by my principles, but in the past, maybe maybe they slipped occasionally. Yeah, yeah, and, and I I think this is the, the thing, I think back to my days in the army where in my desire to succeed and get promoted, I, I would really, you know, try and do almost anything. And, and I'm, I'm ashamed to look back on that kind of behavior and that, that raw aggression and ambition. Mm. And, and just like, the others must have looked at me and thought, you know, what an idiot, you know. Um, but so, so yeah, it's like too soon old, too late smart. And, and you look back years later and you think, you know, if I know, knowing what I know now at 60, I could have been such a better officer when yeah. I was a young man. If only I'd taken the advice. Or had yeah, a- but then you wouldn't have been a young officer. You know? yeah, this not- is, yeah, this is true. This is very true. So from your integrity in your values to the next one round PQ, which is your meaning and purpose. Um, you know, you've, you've traveled so much, you've explored, you, you've met so many fascinating people. You, you have a business, which is about relationships and it's about the sea and yachts and, and, and the like, what gives your life meaning and purpose? Your calling your vocation. What is it? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, like a lot of people in business, you know, from the moment you, you set off in business, you're always looking to be in the most financially successful because that's the, that's the yardstick by which we measure success in business. So I've, I've, I've always wanted to be financially successful. Now I have uh, that element of sort of financial security. It no longer holds the sort of the meaning that it did. And therefore I could you know, hang up my boots today and sail off into the sunset and do, do something else. But what keeps me doing it is the purpose that, I, that you're talking about, which is, you know, it's, it is my identity. It's what I am. It's what I like doing. It's what I know most about. It's where I add most value to other people's lives in the business sense. And it, and it gives me, it, it gets me, you know, gets me up in the morning. And I, I enjoy it. 
I enjoy the interaction with these people. And, and if I didn't do what I did, if I didn't have this little gem of information which I offer to people, then the people that I deal with would literally have no reason to talk to me and my life would be less rich. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's kind of, in a, from, a, from a business sense, I mean, putting my family and my children aside for one moment, that's, that's what gets me up in, my, in, in the business world. Uh, and I think it is an interesting one about when you have a life that's full of meaning and purpose, and I'm very fortunate to, to have that, that, that uh, retirement, I think, is a, an outdated mode in our current era because you want to have a way of life so your health span matches your lifespan. And, and as we'll come on to next, health, uh, brain health and physical health, it's really important when you're doing meaningful work. And so if you, Chris, Cecil Wright, can be doing this in later life, you know, when you're in your 60s, like I am now, or your 70s, um, and still be a value to clients, it's a wonderful way of life if it can include the family and, and friends and other things. So it, it, it becomes not a job, but actually a calling, which is, yeah. which is when you've really- It, it is interesting. I mean, because obviously the, the, you know, life moves in, in phases and my early phase in business was entirely business. Uh, and then uh, my wife came along and then our three children came along and, and, and life focused on them and their early years you know, very considerably. And actually I would say that my business knowledge dropped off in those years but now as they're growing up and they're spending more time away from home I'm finding myself re-engaging with the business on a level that I hadn't expected that if it wasn't there I think would would leave quite a hole so I'm, I'm nurturing that 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 um you know these these later days so I'm, I'm really enjoying it again yes yeah I I, I, I sense that and, and we talked about health which is the next component going around the eight points of the compass which is a health question, uh, mental and physical. What would be your top tip on mental brain health and then on, on physical health? Because clearly you have to look after both in a big way to, mm -hmm. to keep doing what you're doing with your back injury. Mm. I think, I mean, physical health, we can uh, talk to you forever on physical health, spend a lot of time uh, analysing it and trying to be physically healthy but mental health is is the, is the absolute key to me uh and uh, i've done a bit of mental health work and i would say to anybody who hasn't uh to discover ways of looking after your mental health is a real light bulb moment and for me it came when i was introduced to the hoffman process which we talked about before mm -hmm. and um you know i, I I wrote the joint instructions three times. It would take eight hours to fill out. And on each occasion, I just threw them in the bin. But a couple of years after I was introduced to the process, I actually ended up going to do it. Uh, and, the, and, and as I say, the light bulb moment was realizing that I had something to gain from it, not, not actually doing it. You know, it was, it was the understanding that, that you can benefit from it, that you might have ways of developing your mental health situation to be beneficial for you. Uh, not putting that very well, but just the realization that we can all do with with mental health uh, um, uh, care in some way. That was mm. the thing. That was the light bulb moment for me. Was the was was learning that you know it's it's okay to need help. Yeah, and and I was very inspired by you when you talked about the Hoffman process because it it's come to me from so many different directions. Another CEO I was just coaching the other day, or I think he's a 
the, the senior partner in a, a venture capital firm. And he said he did it, it was amazing. And his person was from Spain. And I went, great, because up to now, the only way I could do the Hoffman process is fly to America, where it's run in America. But I think there's this lady who does it in Spain and I'm just trying to track her down. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, there are various places you can do it. You can do it in the UK as well. Okay. I mean, it, yeah, it's a charity organization. I, I chose to do it in the Napa Valley, A, because it was original, the original one, and where Bob Hoffman actually you know, put the course together. That was one reason. The second reason was I thought it was most likely that I would definitely not come into contact with anybody from my my real life. Uh, and I was right. And 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 I, I found it an extremely useful course. Um, I mean, goodness me, we don't have time to talk about the Hoffman's proposal on here, but I mean, honestly, it was, it was a life-changing course. Mm. And I would say that uh, anybody who has interest in, in a mental health awareness, you know, just to buy Bob Hoffman's book you know, called The Hoffman Process is, is a really great start and explains the negative love syndrome, which is all to do with trauma in early life and, and how it leads us to behave in the way that we behave and how mm. And to push the people you love away from you and you know the extraordinary experience but you know literally seven days you come out entirely nourished and refreshed and uh you know if you have the courage to stick to it then it, it can it changes changes everything yeah no i i definitely will and I, i'd love lee to do it as well um but of course you don't go as a couple you've got to go on your own no. and the other it's, it's... oh i mean Bob Hoffman was asked, I said, who's this course most suitable for? He said, oh, well, you know, anybody with a mum and dad. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's, something for, there's something for everybody. Yeah, I, I think that's wonderful. Uh, which takes me on nicely. Uh, I mentioned before, it was the thing that stood out among your many qualities was your emotional and social intelligence, which is the next component, EQ. Um, how have you learned to read yourself and manage yourself, to read other people and manage them, and to read the environment, those three elements that make up emotion. I don't think, I don't think, well, personally, I don't think you learn those things. I think you, you, you gain them out of necessity. And if I go back to what we were talking about before, the necessity for me was to be liked and valued and, uh, by, my, by my superior, certainly my father figure. You know, it was something I, I, I didn't feel I had growing up, you know, I sent away to school and I just really didn't feel like I was valued by anybody. So this need to be valued, uh, you know, by necessity, you, you, you learn to read what people value in you. You know, that's, I think it's, uh, I've, I find it very difficult to, um, to answer that question any other way. I think it's just, a, it's a need rather than a, a learned. Yeah. But, 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 but what I have found, which is so encouraging, is with the leaders I've worked with around the world, that, that it's like a language. You can learn the skills yeah. of emotional and social intelligence. And there's some people who are very technically skilled, but almost are, are on the autism spectrum of their lack of awareness of other people, uh, or they might be autistic themselves, where they can learn in certain ways certain routines, which are a bit rote, but that's their way of learning. I must remember when I come in, I'll ask the secretary, how was your weekend? And I won't walk off as she's replying. I will stay and listen to her. Now, yeah. for them, that's harder because they just don't get it innately. But you would come in and chat to her. No, I, I'm afraid, Jonathan, I agree with you. I mean, it's like sales. You can, you can learn technique, 
uh, and I'm sure people can improve their, they can improve themselves by learning technique, but certainly from my perspective, it, it's, not a, it's not a learned thing. I'll give you an example. I mean, Kitty once said to me, uh, oh, I didn't know you were seeing Bill today. And I said, well, how on earth do you know I'm seeing Bill? She said, well, you're putting your Swatch watch on. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't dream of going to see my client Bill with anything other than an open neck shirt uh, a cheap watch and a, and a pair of sneakers because that's Bill. And yeah. I want to be more like Bill when I see Bill because pe- you, like, you like people that are like yourself sort of thing. Yeah. I can't help myself. You know, here I am with a German client of mine who is, you know, he spends his entire life in a Savile Row suit. Well, I, how could I possibly show up in a T-shirt and jeans today? I just couldn't. And I end up yeah. being in a suit which I never wear, you know. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, this, this, it's this sort of natural way uh, we, we morph into being the people that we, you know, you know what it's like when you're with yeah. your friend. One guy's, a, one guy's a sports guy, one guy's a, 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 you know, a theologist, and you just morph into that person when you're with them that's, that's the way I feel but that's so fascinating for me how how you've learned to adapt and morph and and read people and it the wasn't, situation it wasn't learned Jonathan it wasn't learned it just happens this is why I say Kitty I mean I had no idea that I was putting on an open neck shirt and a, and a swatch watch for any other reason than that it was just in my mind I was off to see Bill and that was it I didn't think to myself that's what I've got to do I just I just do it you know that's the that's the thing and I think you're someone who seizes opportunities and you're an early adopter. So mm-hmm. you, 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 without realizing what you're doing, you're reading the environment. And, and uh, it, it's, all, it's all, you know, 89 billion neurons up here, 40,000 around the heart and 100 million in the gut. The, the, these are sending more signals to the brain, these mini brains, than the brain sends back down to them. So, so you're often picking things up at, at a gut level. It just mm. feels, it feels right. Well, I think that's right. You know what, I, I once did, uh, when I used to work at my last business, where I was a partner for 20 years and a, a lovely business it is and had a lot of fun, but I uh, went off to do my own thing but for my own various reasons. But when I was there, I, I found myself a bit more of a management and leadership role and we decided that it would be sensible to give people formal sales training. And we went along and I sat down and I did two days of listening to this guy. He was obviously a phenomenal coach and knew all about sales. And all I did was learn why I was a good salesman, not how to be a better one. He just sort of broke down all the things that, it, and he gave some he gave some examples which seemed really really obvious to me. But he said, "So there you are, standing there on the dock, waiting for a client to show up. That you're going to show around a boat and you're going to talk to him about a deal." Uh, and he comes, he drives down the dock in a black Ferrari, stops abruptly, hops out in his black suit and marches towards you are you going to ask him how his weekend was are you going to ask him you know uh you know whether he's whether he's had a nice lunch that day no you're going to certainly after you're going to talk about numbers instantly that's the that's all he's interested in but equally you know standing on the dock and there's a, a nice sort of i don't know elderly gentleman with long gray hair and he's got his wife with a lovely sun hat and they're gently strolling down towards the dock but and they're stopping and looking at the boat on this side and a nice you know, bourbonvillea on this side. And they, they get to you and they go, oh, hello, how nice to see you. Are you going to welcome on board the boat and get straight down to the numbers? I mean, you're not. Mm. And I don't, think that, that, I don't think that it takes great emotional intelligence to see those two extreme examples. But there are, there's lots in between there. 
mm. that, that you know that, that's the well what you're talking about is is my was going to be my next question which was the components of cultural intelligence um picking up difference and variety in people and diversity equality inclusion how you read people from different countries different backgrounds different social economic uh, backgrounds sexual orientation whatever it is what's been a top tip that you'd share about how you how you read differences and make people feel included? Well, that's, if I'm ultimately honest with you, Jonathan, what I need to be is that I'm, I'm, I'm not great at that. Uh, and I recognize that I'm not great at it. And I go back to my chemistry thing and I find it very, I would find it very difficult to have chemistry with a Saudi Arabian sheikh. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know or have any understanding Understanding of their culture, I, I, I find it extremely difficult. But I know lots of people who are very good with Saudi Arabian sheikhs, and I would gently ease my Saudi Arabian contact in that direction. Mm. So I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't hope to be able to just understand and, and cope with all these different environments. I know where the chemistry lies. I know where kind of some pitfalls are. I know with some, you know, I have no problem with sexuality. I have no problem with colour and race. I have no, I know, I'm not no bigot in any way. I just know where I where I add value with chemistry, and it and it it, it, it probably isn't very diverse culture away from yeah you know, white English middle class fellow that did a bit of army and now sells boats. You know that's yeah yeah no no and that's fine. And in some ways, I can see this as a sort of this camaraderie and connection and trust, almost an extension of the trust and the fun you had as a young officer in the in the officers' mess. Uh, and and the trust and the bond you had with those people, you're trying to establish a trust and a bond with people who, who feel that you get them. You, you, yeah, you, exactly. You know, you, and it, you get, it would this be person entirely, gets me entirely false for me to try and you know to, to try and insist that I could build that relationship with you know as a, you know a 25 year old shake. I yeah. mean, entirely false. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. And resilience is the next one round. And that's something you've had to show in spades, uh, not only in recovering from uh, the hang gliding accident uh, when your your back was shattered and broken and rebuilt and pinned, but also uh, when you've had sales deals that you thought you, yeah, yeah, we're there, we're going to make this. It's a big, this is the biggest deal ever. And then bam, it it falls through. It doesn't work out. Um, Or you're, on one of your expeditions, uh, doing a number of, you know, seven marathons in Namibia. Uh, and you're thinking, I really, I just need a break, but I've got to keep going. So, so what's your top tip that allows you to be resilient and keep going through adversity? Mm. I mean, you know, yeah, it's simple. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, that's, it's as literally as simple as that. Certainly with the deal aspect, that that's the thing I find hardest. I mean, it used to make me, literally and, and physically sick i used to have to go to the loo and dry wretch when i when i heard about a deal that happened that i wasn't involved in that i knew i could have done it used to, uh, the anxiety used to eat me up uh and still these days you know here i am 52 uh, i signed a, a very big deal fairly recently in fact two very big deals recently both of them fallen out of bed after we were virtually we were literally ready to sign the agreement. Deposits have been paid. Big, big deals for my little tiny business. Fall out of bed. Years of work, 
in some cases, many years of work. In other cases, just a year of work. Uh, and it's, it's very demoralizing. But again, at least I was in it. <laughs> at least I was the guy there signing that agreement. The decision to not go ahead with it is, is their own business decision that I was talking about earlier. And it's not about me. It's about no. them. So uh, it, it, that, that resilience to, 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 to keep going, to, you know, to not break the relationship, just to keep going and, and trying to deliver what, what your clients want. That, that, that's one bit, bit of... Uh, I think that's so well brought up. And I, I, I'd say, Chris, that, you know, this is when my stoic philosophy and training comes in, where the only thing I can control is my own thoughts. Yes. My, my own actions. I can't control you, Chris, and what you do and, and, and how we are. So I think, I think controlling the controllables is key. Um, we're in the last few minutes. Um, brand, um, have you recently ever had 360 feedback from anybody, any external uh, coach or person saying this is what 20 people have given you feedback on and you know this is what they love and this is what you could develop have you done that been about you... my business about they've looked into my business and they've and they've decided you know I've, so you're talking about feedback against uh, on my brand uh, feedback on you chris how yes. you as a leader and a businessman could be even more successful with your clients to be honest i i in ways i have i haven't done it very formally I had a company come and look at how we might just tweak the way that we look to the outside world. I mean, it's never been a, it's never been a, a big thing in my life is the idea of having a brand because, you know, we are. I try and be who I say I am. Uh, but the question is getting that message out to people that don't otherwise know you. Um, a very long way around saying, yes, I have. I have spoken to people. We are very simple business. Yeah, we you know we 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 sell relationships about yachts, and that's 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 what we do. So I have had a bit of help. Maybe I could do with some more. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I have had some help. And no, no, not- it, 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 it's also very interesting. You know, I I'm constantly interested in 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 three sixty myself. On you know, is how I'm coming across, how people are experiencing me, or is there mm-hmm. a disconnect between how I see myself on these components and how others do? Um, legacy, what would you like your legacy to be in your personal life and in your uh, yacht breaking work? Goodness me, I legacy, I, you know, I haven't thought too much about my legacy. I've, 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 without sounding arrogant, I've, I've surpassed uh, any view I might have had about myself when I was a child or in my teens or my early 20s. I had no idea I would possibly have somebody working for me let alone a team, let alone a business, let alone doing what I'm doing. I had no idea that that might happen. Uh, and therefore, I really haven't given too much, um, too much thought to legacy. I know that when I, do, when I do a piece of building, whether I build a house or I build a boat or, or, or whatever I do, I put my all into it. And I quite enjoy the fact that that house or apartment block or hotel or whatever it is, pub, whatever I've been working on, will be around for a very much longer time than I will be. But I think my legacy will, will, will be my children. That's, yeah. The, yeah. That's, that's the key for me. Yeah, I think so. And, and I recently had my 60th, which was wonderful. And, and I think one of my proudest moments was, was my wife very kindly speaking about me in my life. And then my two daughters who did a double act, sharing stories about their dad. And that really, the combination of Lee and then Harris and Brady brought tears to my eyes, and and I think that's that's your legacy, isn't it? It's it is. It's, it's, I mean, it's certainly yeah. It's, I, it's I your it's, it. it's your partner. I find it it's your constantly, daily, hour by hour, astonished how these three human beings have come from yeah. 
think is yeah, I'm always amazed by it. I mean, yes. Yeah. And this is about to, to stewardship and legacy. You don't own them. You're looking after them as they pass through your life and you launch them. I mean, our four children have now been launched. They've got their partners. Uh, one's got married. Another one's getting married this year. Another one's getting married next year. And then the fourth may do if they want, but or whatever they decide to do. And we're now grandparents. And it's, it's a very special time of life. Yeah. And that's your legacy. That's your legacy. Um, you've worked with teams throughout life, uh, executive teams. Um, you've now got teams, you've got your own business. What's your top tip when you've got somebody who's gone toxic or a team that's gone toxic? How do you make it high-performing again? What's, what have you found works? I tell you what, I, uh, the, the thing that I've, that I've learned, certainly you know, all these lessons are kind of small scale. You know, we run a very small business. The previous business was slightly bigger than 200 people. And now we're, now we're more like 15 people. The thing that I've learned is uh, to, to know where your strengths and weaknesses lie. And although I've been through the army, and although I do what I do, I am, I'm, I'm not a business leader, I'm a salesman. And I know that that's my strength. So actually one of my most recent, uh, uh, I would say achievements is to encourage a great friend of mine, uh, Ed Carell, who's got a very long standing uh, history of success in the banking world, to come and give me his management time in the business. So now I have a proper business manager running the business from a business you know, perspective, and I now just look after sales. So, he, you know, he was ex-military himself, 17th, 21st, uh, and, you know, he is a great leader, and he's great at running teams. So I recognise that that's not my great strength. Much better to hire somebody whose great strength it is uh, and respond to them, and that's what I do. Yeah, very wise. Um, penultimate question, a, a book that you would recommend, maybe on leadership, might be an autobiography or something that you found recently. This is a good read. And, and why is it a good read? Which one would you recommend? Goodness. I mean, I do. I read a lot of trash. Jonathan. I do read a lot of trash. But I also I have a great friend of mine, Bill, uh, in the States, who's a, uh, is a fascinating man, multi-billionaire, very financially successful. Uh, and whenever I see him, I ask him what he's reading and whatever he's reading, I buy on the spot. So it's back on my bedside table when I arrive home. And one of the most recent books that he, uh, he suggested to me was a book, uh, a book called Black Box Thinking. Yes. Which yes. is an astonishing, astonishingly simple idea, but it basically, it, it draws a parallel between the medical industry and the airline industry and how you can't possibly be right until you're wrong. And the airline industry, of course, there's a problem with an airliner. All airliners are grounded until they find out what the problem is. In the medical industry, everything is brushed under the carpet. I'm sorry to all the medical people that might be listening, but you know, there's a lot to learn from, uh, from the airline industry about learning that you are, you can't be right until you know you're wrong. Yeah. Wow, the Black Box Thinking is a, is a really fantastic book. And then, of course, The Hoffman Process. Uh, uh, it's a must read. I give it to my friends. Probably, I would say I've, I've probably bought 200 copies of that book. Uh, wow. And I, I give them out boringly regularly. That's, that's uh, amazing. So I, would, I would strongly recommend anybody read that book. And I hope Bob Hoffman's done an audio version of that, because as dyslexic, for me, that would be a great way of, of listening. Well, it would be good. I mean, Bob's no longer with us, but I would, I would, I would hope that there would be an audio book. I would yeah, probably, uh, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be looking for it. Um, yeah. 
Chris, thank you for that. So on the, the final two minute top tip, if you just kindly now for this part, just introduce yourself, tell people uh, what you do and then share what your top leadership tip is and then we'll wrap up and I'll chat to you after we finish recording. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm Chris Osserite, I'm a yacht broker. I sell big yachts to interesting people. Uh, and I would say my top tip is, uh, is to listen. Listen to the people you respect and take their advice. Don't just listen to their advice, take their advice. Too many times I've listened to my clients who are immensely successful and immensely uh, good at what they do. And I've tried to back up their advice by talking to somebody lesser and then made the decision not to take their advice. And it's always wrong. So I would say, take the advice from the learned people that you know. Yeah, very wise advice. Um, Chris Russell Wright, thank you very much indeed for being on the Inspire Leadership Podcast. It's a real pleasure. And uh, you're, you're a fascinating man. And please carry on being you. And good luck uh, with your business. Thank you, Chris. You're very kind, Jonathan. Thanks very much. I've enjoyed it enormously. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.